a mission. It's a mission to turn our world upside down. That happens when people hear the good news of Jesus. So get ready for God to turn you upside down. In this episode, we're doing something different. I'm having a conversation with an ordinary believer. By saying ordinary, I I mean someone who's not a, a pastor or a theologian or the author of a book, just someone who's been saved by God's grace in Jesus. So today I'm talking to a friend. Over the years, I don't know, maybe almost, well, 17, 18 years, I've gotten to know her, her husband, her children, her grandchildren, and one of her children was named Michael. I'm not going to be giving her name. I think that just allows us to talk more openly about her life. I'm just going to refer to her as Michael's mother. So welcome. Welcome, Michael's mother. Welcome to Mission Upside Down. Thank you, Pastor Rand. I'm, I'm just really glad that you're uh, willing to, to talk with me, that we can have this conversation. I, I guess just to clarify, I'm not really your pastor anymore. I, I've retired from regular ministry, but I, I guess I'm still pastoring in a way. So how about we jump in and and start by talking about your church background. You were raised in the Roman Catholic Church. Um what would you say? Would would you consider did you consider yourself a believer back back in those days? Um days I, when you, you got married and and had children? Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, I've always been a believer. I always believed in mm-hmm. God and in Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um but I've learned much more since I've come to our church. Mm-hmm. I never did study the Bible previous to our church, mm-hmm. just catechism classes when I was a child. Mm-hmm. And my faith has grown quite a bit since uh, coming to our church. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, um, yeah, you did know about God. You did know about Jesus, the Roman Catholic Church, despite some of their teaching errors, um, does hold some of the basics of the Christian faith. So, so you learn that. Let's uh, just focus on your son, uh, Michael. This is mostly about him. How about just starting to talk about him as a child? He he was your firstborn, right? Yes, that's correct. Mm -hmm. Um, As a child, he was a very good child. Mm. Um, Never had any issues with him. Very bright. Um, Always excelled in school. Mm. He won uh, the award for Ontario Regional Public Speaking. It, he had a good childhood until right. up until the time he was about 12, 11 or 12. Mm-hmm. And um, no issues with him whatsoever previous oh. to turning 12 and getting into his teenage years. Mm-hmm. Well, you've, you've given me permission to um, talk about all this, and, and I'll be adding some pastoral comments, pastoral thoughts, kind of rooting into the scripture and in, in our theology. And I just think we'll all be learning uh, from your experiences. So, yeah, you, you started out first married to a man who was an alcoholic, and uh, he later became abusive, and, and finally you, you had to divorce him. And I guess that had some effect on, on Michael in those days. Yes, it did. It, it, because he was much older, he understood mm. more than his younger sister did, um, and it stayed with him a lot more. Uh, my ex-husband was an entrepreneur, always did very well. He was very successful in his business until his brothers started to take from the business with the bookkeeper. And then he started to drink, turned to alcohol. Mm. And from alcohol, it escalated to bigger and better drugs. Mm. 
Unfortunately, he was very abusive mm. um, when he started to use. And uh, it started with verbal abuse, and then it was emotional and physical abuse. Was was that um, was that when he was 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 drinking and and using, or was it just in general? No, when he was drinking and using, oh, okay. um, when when he wasn't using, initially he would apologize. They, they called it the honeymoon phase. Mm-hmm. Uh, he would apologize and you know shower me with gifts and flowers, and then it would go right back to drinking and the drug abuse. And as mm-hmm. time went on, it progressively got worse. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, the children were caught in the middle. And um, it, it eventually, I went to a shelter for six mm. months with both my children mm. because it got so bad that it, just, it we tried everything, counseling, it didn't work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, you had told me that um, you yourself had some counseling, and I guess your daughter accepted some counseling, but you had, you had told me previously, Michael never really did uh, go for counseling, and, and a counselor even warned you about that. He did. Um, he was, he attended counseling with myself and my daughter. Okay. Um, however, he didn't open up. Mm. And the counselor said that he was very concerned because what he had indicated was that when a child doesn't open up to counseling and has gone through such trauma, that trauma stays in them. And as their body grows, they may look like a man, but they haven't matured as an adult inside. So they keep all those feelings and it was so true because Mm. I could see it in Michael. He had a man's body, but he acted like a child. Mm. Yeah. Always very angry with everything that had happened. Mm -hmm. You know, because we had, we had so much, you know, Yeah. we had so much and all of that was ripped away Mm -hmm. and the family being broken up as well. And he was daddy's little boy. So, so losing his dad. He probably didn't fully understand, probably didn't fully know the extent to which his father was abusing uh, you, but no right. doubt had an effect on him. You know, I, I just, I've seen this so often that, um, you know, things happen to us uh, apart from our control. I mean, people may, might judge us or, or whatever, but things just happen that, that were completely unexpected. I, I suppose you went in a marriage not knowing your husband would become an alcoholic, a drug user, a surely didn't expect the abuse but yeah people can maybe easily make make judgments but none of these things you were asking for these things just happened to you huh yes i was definitely judged um Mm. my parents as well as his parents you know they believed in the traditional marriage you don't leave your husband regardless Mm-hmm. I remember a time when they both came over crying with over a box of tissues saying, you know, you need to take him back. Mm-hmm. He's uh, cause I had le- attempted to leave many times prior to going into the shelter. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, they said he's a good provider, which he was, mm-hmm. but that's not the only piece of the puzzle. You have to be whole and in the counseling, that's what they right. taught us was that a family unit is like a mobile or a mobile over mm. a child's crib. When one piece is unstable, mm. it affects the whole mobile. Mm-hmm. So oh, that's a good analogy, right? The whole, yes. the whole family. I mean, not only was it affecting your marriage, but the whole family, the kids, even though they probably didn't see the worst part of it, they could sense the insecurity and the, and the anger and yeah, all the yes. drama. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, Hey, just to, sorry that i jumping over years here, but just to focus us on, uh, on Michael in his, in his later years of life, you, 
you were in that shelter. Um, as, as the months, years went by, you, you, you met a new man, a good man. Um, you got remarried. And, and I guess you tried, as we all do, to be the best uh, spouse you could be. But by that time, it seemed, or maybe in that new marriage, Shawn Michael started to go downhill. And in his teen years, he got addicted to drugs. T- tell us about how that how that went. Um, I think part of it was the fact that I did have a new man in my life. And Michael, I believe, always prayed that his father and I would get back together. Mm. wanted that family unit. Um, my now husband um, got him involved in hockey. He coached his hockey team. He did everything humanly possible to show him, look, I'm here for the long haul. Mm-hmm. I'm not like just a fly-by-night boyfriend. And I was very careful, too, as to when to introduce him to the children, that sort of thing. It wasn't right. something like where I dated and then, I, you know, he was the first man in my life. Right. Um, we tried everything, but Michael was too bright for his own good. When he started in grade nine, the curriculum wasn't sufficient for him. So he started skipping classes and then hanging around, you know, outside with the kids that other kids that weren't going to school. And I'm not blaming the other kids, mm-hmm. but Michael chose to start using and one thing led to another and the drugs, mm-hmm. of course, as time went on, you know, mm-hmm. started small and then like his father started using hardcore drugs. Yeah. Yeah. And you were mentioning to me previously that it was probably after he got his jaw broken that he, the doctor put him on painkillers and that also got yes. him hooked. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's when he went from using like street drugs to, uh, he got hooked on Oxycontin mm-hmm. from the broken jaw and mm-hmm. it was just a whirlwind from there. Mm. Yeah. Well, I, I met Michael uh, when he was in his late twenties and, I can still recall it quite well at, at the church where, where you eventually had joined. Uh, there was a young man, an immigrant uh, from Africa named Matt. He was walking home from worship service and he saw Michael in the yard and he said hello. And long story short, the two of them talked and Matt invited Michael to come to church. And Michael said he'd come the next Sunday. And it, it always was a lesson to me about how God uses ordinary believers. There we get the idea of ordinary believers again, just Ordinary people inviting people to come to church, telling them a little bit about Jesus. And then um, I guess you, as Michael's mother, you came to church after a few weeks, huh? Yes. Um, Michael started to change. There, mm-hmm. there was this glow about him when he started attending the church. Mm. And I had tried for so many years to help him. Mm-hmm. And take him to counseling, whatever I could possibly do to help him get through his anger. Mm -hmm. And when I saw the changes in Michael, when he started attending the church, he he would ask me questions about the Bible that I couldn't answer Mm. because I didn't know the Bible myself. Mm -hmm. And I, I myself got curious. I saw this wonderful glow in this, you know, Mm -hmm. a difference pep in his step, you know, it, it mm-hmm. was just his whole demeanor changed. Mm-hmm. And I decided that I should come to the church and see what it was all about because I mm-hmm. wanted to see what, what was helping my son to change so much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you're right. Just very bright Had almost a, a photographic memory when we would open up the Bible together. And I, w- I was single in those days. Um, so I had extra time, moved to this city, didn't 
have family or, or friends. So I had a lot of extra time and it was good for me too to just, uh, you know, meet with Michael. And I, I remember him also being so very honest about his issues. And, um, and for a time he'd be clean and sober, but then, yeah, months would go by and, and, and he would relapse. The temptation would, would become uh, so strong. Well, long story short, I ended up retiring from pulpit ministry. I, I lost track of Michael for a couple of years. By that time, I was married. My wife and I then joined another church in our family of churches. It was a church plant, actually. We were meeting in a in an elementary school uh, gymnasium, I recall. And in God's providence, in God's plan, Michael was living at that time, not in your home anymore, but living within a few blocks of, of that church. And so he started coming there as you came. And I believe at that time also you had invited your sister to come. So you would sit yes. there, the two of you, you and your sister, uh, with Michael and his then girlfriend, and uh, she was pregnant, or husband, did she already yeah. have um, their baby? So um, yeah, that was a, a new phase for everyone. And I can remember Michael too. Uh, I don't know having having this baby. He he was changing, I think, in certain ways with the baby also. What what would you say on that? I think. Having Madeline, oh, sorry, I shouldn't say names, <laughs> my apologies. <That's> okay. <laughs> um, it gave him a sense of responsibility. Mm -hmm. And he wanted to mm -hmm. let everyone know that, you know, he could be a dad, ah. right? Because he had a, a daughter in previous years who, mm -hmm. it, it was a bad relationship mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. begin with. Yeah. And the mother was would use the child as a pawn and... Even I was limited as to how and when I could see her. Mm -hmm. So he was very proud to be a father and he wanted to show everyone that he could be a good father. Mm -hmm. And he was well on his way. He, yeah. he was doing so very, very well. We were all so proud of him. Yeah. And as I reflect on it, you know, as a, as a pastor at the time and then later retired pastor, really hard to know when Michael was converted, but I, but I really do believe he was genuinely converted. I, there's some believers out there who, who might think a person with a drug problem could never make a real commitment to Jesus. But I, I don't think that's right. I mean, we all give in to certain temptations after we're converted. We, we all do. And so I think Michael made an honest commitment. But then, yeah, there was the baby. I know he also felt guilty about that, living together. I know they started living in separate rooms. And, and by that time, he was pretty much off drugs. So he, he talked about actually getting married and making this relationship right before the Lord. And I recall it was around Christmas time that uh, we celebrated a wedding uh, together. Him and his, um, him and the mother of his his baby. You, you remember those weeks before the wedding? That was also kind of a, a joyful time in Michael's life. It was. It was. He mm -hmm. was so elated and so happy. You know that he was mm -hmm. planning this wedding. I mean, it wasn't a, a large wedding. He just wanted his immediate family there mm -hmm. to celebrate with him. I've never seen him so happy. He was going to church each week, no matter what. And afterwards, we would get together. He would come over for family meals, and his sister and, and my daughter mm -hmm. and husband and, and grandkids would come over, and we'd have a big family supper on, you know, on Sundays after church. Mm -hmm. it, it was a very happy time for all of us. It really mm -hmm. was. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he was definitely I, a different person. Yeah, I remember all those positive changes, and and therefore not only I, but. But the main pastor of that church, that church plant, we, we also together said, yes, this would be a good thing to just officially join them together. Um, she was also there every week. So we, we, we planned the wedding. We did it on a Sunday, like you said. It was just sort of a, 
informal thing. They had, you know, they were dressed up, but just did it after a worship service in another room in the school, but very, very meaningful. And um, yeah, as you said, he was, he was so happy. And then, so we had the, the wedding, the ceremony on that Sunday, you all gathered afterwards. We had a little meal there, I believe in the school, but then I think you all went back to maybe your home and he had some good conversations with his stepdad, I recall. Yes, we uh, came back to the house because we only had the school gym for so long. Right. And we did have the dinner in the school, but it was late in coming. They, could, they didn't deliver yes. it on time. Yes. So that, that uh, we had to leave the school and, and pretty much some of his cousins and his sister came back here to the house. Mm-hmm. And we were celebrating his glorious day. He was so happy. Um, mm-hmm. He went up to John, his dad, her stepdad, sorry, and he mm-hmm. asked for forgiveness he thanked him mm-hmm. for not giving up on him. Um, mm-hmm. I remember him giving John, again, I'm sorry, I'm saying names, <laughs> my apologies, yeah, yeah. giving him a big hug, yeah. you know, and Michael never, when he hugged me, I'll never mm-hmm. forget him hugging me because he hugged with such strength and you could feel that he was genuinely giving me a hug, whereas before mm-hmm. his changes, Mm-hmm. If you asked for a hug, it was a very, like, there was no mm-hmm. feeling in that hug. Mm-hmm. It was more like the person was hugging him. He wasn't hugging back. Mm-hmm. So, yes, he, he asked me for forgiveness. He apologized for all of his wrongdoings over the years mm-hmm. and thanked the both of us for everything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and another thing he was doing in those those weeks just before his wedding and and so on. He was helping people on the streets. I, I know he was asking me to, hey, pastor, where can I get more Bibles? I, I, I don't want to buy brand new Bibles each time. It's going to you know, cost me way too much. Can I get a box at a time? And what, he had t-shirts made up too, I think, huh? Yes, yes, that's correct. He actually called me and said, mom, I need you to change my caller. He, he said, you know, when you when I call you and it says Michael's calling, oh. he said, I need you to change that to Jesus is Jesus. And I said, why would I change your name? Your And he said, just do that for me, please. And he said, when I, I he goes, I'm going to hang up. I'm going to call you back. And he said, when I call you back on the screen, it's going to say, Jesus is calling. And then he wanted me to take a screenshot of that so yeah. that he could make up T-shirts that read Jesus, like with that screenshot that says Jesus is calling so he could pass, hand them out with the Bibles ah. to the people on the streets because ah. he had been on the streets a few yes. times, yes, and he wanted to be able to communicate with these people in the streets to let them know that, yeah. you know, there there is a higher power that could help them. Yeah, and what a what a thing to print on T-shirts, and then he was what handing them out free. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So so here were people, street people, uh, himself with a T-shirt. Jesus is calling, and I mean, what a biblical, what a biblical wording, a, a biblical slogan. Jesus does yes. call, and he just doesn't call. You know, the Gospels say he's not just calling people who are moral and living sort of outwardly upright lives, but in the Gospels, he's calling all types of people, people who were, you know, sexually promiscuous, people who had cheated and stolen and all kinds of people. Jesus calling sinners, huh? People who know their faults and failures before God and then knows that Jesus has died for their sins and their sins are are washed away. Beautiful, beautiful with t-shirts uh, like that. Well, hey, now we now we turn to probably the the hardest part, right? It it wasn't that long after his uh, wedding day. 
In fact, um, what, six, seven days after his wedding, he was busy. I'll just kind of tell this story because I know it's kind of hard for, for you to repeat the words of it, but what, busy cleaning his apartment. He was putting a couch back together. And earlier, he and his now wife were drinking some wine coolers and probably too many of them. You can get uh, easily carried away that such a sweet drink. And, you know, if you're not thinking about it, and the apartment was maybe hot, it was giving him relief in, in the putting together his couch. But yeah, in the hallway, someone offered him uh, some drugs. And you told me Michael first said no, but then the man persisted and Michael got more and more frustrated with this, with his couch and just the frustration of getting things put together. And Michael took the drugs and he, he took a hit and unknown to him, those drugs were laced with fentanyl. And by this time, I think that's quite um, known, publicized how fentanyl just kills people and, and it, you know, after Michael took the hit, it wasn't too many minutes and he went into full-blown cardiac arrest and right there in his apartment, uh, he died. I mean, his his wife called the ambulance, the MTs were there working on him and, and you were called, I guess, and, and you arrived, but wow, what can you share about that? And, and this could be a little <sighs> bit hard, but, but that's fine. Just, just say what- When I initially got the call, yeah. I didn't know what to think. Because uh -huh. he had been doing so well, mm -hmm. and he was well on his way, waiting mm -hmm. for employment, mm -hmm. uh, as my uh, husband was getting him into his former employers mm -hmm. with TTC. Mm -hmm. And when I got that call, it took us about, I mean, we rushed down, and, it, and mm -hmm. I was in a panic the whole way. It took mm -hmm. me about 30 minutes, well, my husband drove, oh, but it took us about 30 minutes to get down to their place. Mm -hmm. Uh -huh. And we took the elevator up, and when we got off the elevator, Michael was already mm -hmm. on the gurney with a sheet over him, so I knew he had passed. Oh my! And I was devastated. I just, yeah, wow. just couldn't believe it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. So sad. Yeah, really. And you know, to hear your sorrow it's been now three and a half years or so since that happened but it, it's just a very sad and, and tragic thing and i think especially sad i mean it's sad when anyone dies of, of this fentanyl the opioid epidemic but um he was doing so well and, and god was really changing him and he was you know being more and more sanctified in so many ways but there came that moment of temptation and he gave in and there he was on the gurney sheet covering him. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I think, I don't know, maybe the way I was brought up, but in in my church and even, even I think in our church now, uh, you and me and others in that church, that's church plant, it's, it's maybe not easy for us to, to share our emotions. And um, yeah, we get a little embarrassed about it, but I, God makes us, you know, not only intellectual beings, he, he makes us emotional beings and um, he wants us to love other people and to love our spouses, to love our children. You obviously, you know, loved Michael so much and and there to see his body on the gurney covered with a sheet. Wow. Wow. It was definitely difficult. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, and I can remember visits in those days, 
I had known you previously as a pastor, and though I wasn't your official pastor, since you lived more out my way now in retirement, and your your daughter, and we, and and of course Michael's wife, everyone was, yeah, just grieving. I, I think first in shock. Wouldn't you say it was first kind of just that, those first weeks, just kind of living. It was in shock. definitely shock. Definitely yeah. shock. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I even when I initially got the call, I didn't even think it was drug related. That's right. how shocked I was when I found out that it was drug related. Right, right. Um, because he was basically clean; like he had yeah. gone through that methadone program. Yeah, and yeah. he didn't even have. Right. I mean, when we got the autopsy yeah. report about yeah. six months later, it indicated that there was minimal. I think it was like three percent methadone yeah. still in his system. Yeah. So they believe yeah. that that's the reason why it killed him this time yeah. because yeah. he didn't have it in his system, and he had been so long since he had done it. Yeah, and just for listeners who don't know about that, methadone is is a treatment. So he was under prescribed methadone. I can remember going with him to the clinic, to the methadone clinic one time. Oh, this would be interesting just to see. You know, it's kind of like bulletproof glass. <laughs> you go in this thing, you get the little cup, and um, and they drink it. And, and there's others there that are, you know, this kind of helps get off the heart. I honestly, heart yeah, I think I told you that I, I honestly mm-hmm. thought it was his heart because right, he was right. born with a hole in the heart yeah. in his heart when he was born. Yeah. So that, he, mm-hmm. that healed as he grew older and they said it mm-hmm. would heal on its own. Mm-hmm. And then with him, cause he had asked me for a cigarette that night, if you could have a cigarette that night outside mm-hmm. on the front porch mm-hmm. and cause he had quit smoking as well. Mm-hmm. And he didn't even finish the cigarette. He threw it out halfway and he started to complain about his left arm hurting. So when I got that call, I honestly thought it was his heart. Right. I didn't right. didn't even think it was anything to no, do with drugs. No, no. So much shock first. Totally. Well, yeah. Well, this is maybe a um, good time to kind of wind up this part of the conversation. We're going to continue in the next part of the conversation with the next episode. But um, I guess I just want the listeners to know that, um, you know, even for believers, life isn't always easy. Here you were going to church, committing your life to Christ, growing in your faith, studying the Bible, you're part of our small group, uh, all these good things, and and really on the way. And yeah, when bad things happen to good people and a tragic thing like your son dying. um, But I think it also underscores the fact that, uh, yeah, life can be very, very hard. And I guess as as his mother, I, I just reflect on your your time afterwards, um, how you didn't give up on Jesus. You didn't give up on your faith. You were in shock. We'll talk about that. You fell into some depression, but but you hung in there. You, you, you trusted the Lord. You kept trusting even through those very, very difficult times. And it's just encouragement to, to all of us, I think, myself included. I've gone through some tough times, even, even recently, just not to give up the faith, not to give up your, your hope in God, your love for Jesus, and just, um, yeah, continue with, with him and, and with his church. Well, thanks again, and we'll uh, continue our conversation in the next episode. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Randall. This podcast is produced by my brothers in Christ, Dennis and Moses. Won't you tell your friends about us? We're Mission Upside Down.